Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for so much for leading us this morning. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Um, I have a lot to say today. John, John chapter 9 is an awesome chapter, and I can't wait to, to read it and make some observations and hopefully some application. Uh, but before I, I get into the message, there are a couple things that I wanted to say. One, I want to say I, I'm like so proud of our church. You know, we, um, we were doing the new members classes the last two weeks, and one of the metaphors for church is, um, is family, right? And this is a very special family. And I'm very proud. Every time someone comes up here to talk, I'm like, Samantha speaks so well. Like, I just like, man, Andy does the announcement so good. Man, she sings so awesome. Like, he plays the guitar so, you just like, like, I know them. That's how I feel. Like, I'm saying, I know them, you know? And uh, anyways, I'm very, very proud of you. Um, sounds a little geeky. I don't know why. I feel just like a, kind of a, a, a emotional this morning for no good reason. So maybe some tears. I don't know. Maybe some awkward humor. I don't know what's to come. But... Uh, the second thing that I want to tell you is, in, um, this morning I, I received a text from Charles Victor. And if you don't know Charles Victor, he's one of the missionaries that we support in India. And he, from time to time, will just send little updates. And um, I so appreciate that. And we let him know that we're praying for them. And um, this little video that he sent, just a quick little video from a phone of a baptism that they had recently. I just thought you would enjoy seeing it. I thought, why, why do I always just look at this stuff and go, oh, cool, and never and forget to share it with you? So anyways, this is that. So if you guys want to play that quick little video. Because all my life you have been cool you know the, the significance when I watch that and I think you know this but their ministry context is much different than ours that they're living in an, in a region of India that's pretty radical in, in Hinduism and the and and it can be very um, oppressive to Christians uh, Charles is often called into government offices and interrogated for things that he said or done there's always the um, you know, the concern that a member is a spy that wants to come in and report back to the government something that they're doing of proselytizing. So this is a big deal, a public confession of faith. And so every time um, we know that heaven rejoices, but it's wonderful that we can rejoice with them. So I wanted to share that with you and keep, um, keep them in prayer and keep their church in India in prayer as well. Um, but that also... If you haven't already heard this, um, not this coming, um, this next Sunday. This next Sunday we'll be um, dedicating some babies. So if you want your, your baby dedicated, we'd love to do that. Um, but the Sunday after that will be a water baptism service. We had a member of our church just say, I just feel so strong that the Holy Spirit's leading me to baptism. And so we're like, you're going to have to wait six weeks. And I'm just kidding. No, we're like, hey, <laughs> let's do it, right? Let's do it. And so if you would also like to join in, in baptism, um, you are more than welcome uh, to do that. Just let us know. You can call the church office. 
email, text, let one of us know. But that will be um, Sunday, um, not this coming. I think it's the date is the 18th, if I'm not mistaken. So that's that. So let's get into John um, chapter 9. How has your prayer time been? Man, mine's been awesome. I know we talked as a staff. Yeah? It was like... If you don't know, we've invited our congregation into um, in 40 days of one-hour prayer, uh, and, and it's been a, a really special time. Um, this is, again, not a, not a guilt thing. This is an invitation. If you haven't done it yet and you want to, we're like at the halfway point, so jump in. But um, just carving out time to spend with Jesus. And each week, if you follow us on social media, we give a different kind of prayer prompt or something to focus on and um, a different uh, reality of what Jesus declared of himself, the I am statements. And this, this one coming up is that I am the resurrection and the life. So just beginning our time in prayer, rejoicing in who God is, and then um, asking the Lord to show you things about your own life. How many of you know that's a like really awesome, dangerous prayer to pray? Lord, show me things about my own life. We were talking as a staff and just talking with different ones that God is faithful to show us things that he wants to reveal. It's his kindness, though, that points out the things that need to change. And the Lord also encourages us deeply. And so it's a time to listen to the Lord, to Pray that God would continue to give us vision and do what he longs to do in this place. So uh, I hope you're enjoying that time. And if you haven't jumped on board and you want to, um, there's still time to do that. So John chapter 9, believe it or not, we've been studying the gospel of John for like 18 weeks. Can you believe that? And um, and we're not halfway done yet, but... uh, but it's so rich, and, and as, we're, as we're in it, and if you study something for a long period of time and you're kind of carrying on in it, you, you, you might, like, miss the, the pace of what's happening in the text. And what I mean by that is if over several weeks we've gone from chapter 7 to chapter 9, it might feel like lots of stuff happens along the way when really it's a rapid pace. And what I mean is Jesus, he um, is in these intense dialogues, right, and, and he's doing miracles, and he's making proclamations that are, that are making the religious leaders so angry that they want to stone him. And it's like one thing right after the other. So from the, the time when they pick up, or they, they at least bring him the woman that's caught in the act of adultery, and they're ready to stone her, it's just moments later that they're picking up stones ready to stone him. And, and the, the, the rich, like, and I don't know, is the word robust. The robust dialogue between he and the religious leaders is exhausting. How many of you know this term, emotional exhaustion? I would rather be physically exhausted than emotionally exhausted. Are you with me? I would rather dig a 12 foot by 12 foot square hole than to carry like this emotional exhaustion. And so when I'm, when I'm listening to what Jesus is going through, I would say, man, this has got to be exhausting, him defending who he is, the false accusations about who he is, the people that he loves and longs to rescue that reject him. It's got to be exhausting. And yet, Jesus makes time for people. And that's what's remarkable about where we're going to come into this story of Jesus healing the blind man. Now, if you follow the, um, the patterns of the Gospel of John, you'll realize that these miracles are placed strategically. So Jesus will do things like feed the 5,000, which is a legitimate miracle, but then he'll use that as a leaping off point to, to talk to people about him being the bread of life, right? And so in this story, as, as I read it to you, um, Jesus is going to do a, a, a real physical miracle of healing a, a, a man that was born blind, 
but he's going to use it as a leaping off point to address spiritual blindness in the community around him of religious leaders. And so um, this is one of those times where um, we can just read it and the, the word will speak for itself. So let's get into it. Are you ready? All right, here we go. John chapter 9 in verse 1. It says, he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Aren't we always looking for a reason why bad stuff happens? It's just human nature. Like we want to connect something for some, some reason. We, if we hear of a tragic death, for example, we want to understand like what happened. We're, you know, did they make bad choices? Was it a health issue? It's like our, our brain wants to connect the why with the what. And this is the case here. Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin who sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one works. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, this is so awesome. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva and anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he washed and came back seeing. That's crazy, right? Well, well, let's just start from the very beginning. You see a guy who's blind, and Jesus' own disciples say, hey, whose fault is it? It's basically what he's saying. Why is this guy blind? Is it his parents or his fault? And in, in the ancient world, this was a, a, a belief, is that if you're child was born with any kind of disability or whatever else, that it was probably the sins of the parent, or some rabbis actually taught that you could have prenatal sin. I don't understand this, but they, they based it off of Esau in the Old Testament, but, but that, that you could somehow be sinning in the womb. You know, some of you pregnant moms are thinking like, that kid's kicking a little too hard, you know, Lord forgive him, or whatever else. I, I don't know. But, but either way, it, was, it seemed a little bit like a, a reach, didn't it? It seems like our attempts as humans to explain things that are unexplainable. Um, wise pastors who have gone before me, um, I, I look to. I look to guys like Charles Swindoll. You know, I like to read what he has to say. Uh, and, and Charles Swindoll says, um, it, he has a list, and I have it in my office. There's like nine things of like, don't do these things. And, um, and it's a message to pastors. And, and one of the messages is don't try to answer questions you don't have answers for. Wouldn't you appreciate that in most people if they didn't try to answer questions that they didn't have answers for? I think that this is, um, this is the big problem of suffering, right? And, and to, as, as the body of Christ, to really have a healthy theology of suffering, to understand why, why do good things happen or bad things happen? Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. Why, why is there suffering in the world? When Jesus could just say the word and heal it, why doesn't he? You know, and the, the big answer to that question is we're not certain this side of eternity. We just aren't. But when we read a passage like this, we realize there aren't easy answers to some of these questions. But there's a, an answer that Jesus gives here to his disciples, something he wants them to take away. He says, no, this one was born and this situation occurs that, that my glory might be revealed. It's kind of a, a hard one to, to wrestle with. But as we walk through it and we see it a little more, um, we realize that this is part of the, the, the situation and the reality of what we live in. That sin has entered the world and bad things happen and suffering occurs. 
But the hope in that theology of suffering or understanding is that he's with us in the suffering. That God knows and sovereignly sees things. That he can be trusted in the suffering. That, that he doesn't um, want us to, to be harmed. He doesn't, doesn't take joy in our suffering, but he uses it for his glory and for good things in our lives. And for the ones that are suffering right now, it's like, yeah, okay, nice for you to say right now. But all of us are suffering to a certain degree. Isn't that true? That, that whatever I'm suffering with, I, I heard one person say that it's only a minor surgery when you're not having it. Right? It's just a minor surgery. It is when you're not having it. So, so whatever it is, whether it's a physical ailment or something emotional or something um, of fear that we battle or whatever it is, we know this to be true, that it is an opportunity for God to be glorified in our lives if we'll lean into him and that we can trust the fact that he's there with us. That is emphatically clear as we read this text. And so it's just one, one thing to address. But then the next thing that we address is the fact that Jesus does a, a miracle in such a creative way. I listened and, and read about a, a lot of people's take on this. And, and different people have different takes on why he did what I call the mud miracle. Um, there's a, um, one person that I read said, and it, this makes good sense, that Jesus didn't want to, um, to reduce himself to a formula for miracles. In other words, that he does things the same way every time so that we would then do that same thing and expect that same result. So I think different cultures have different ways. I'm, I'm speaking of different church cultures, that there's ways that you pray. You know, some, some people pray over people, and then you do like a shake and a push them, you know. Other people, you know, lay their hands lightly on them. You might hear, like, um, similar terminology in the way that things are prayed. And none of that is, is wrong in and of itself. But what can become wrong is if we depend upon the, the method of prayer or healing or deliverance or whatever it might be and expect that outcome versus relying on the power of the Spirit to do what the Spirit wants to do creatively. Are you with me? And so I think Jesus is showing that. And, then, and, and Jesus is just being Jesus here. Because there's a lot in the, in the historical background to the making of mud that's important. What, what we know about this moment, remember, it's still the time of that, that Feast of Tabernacles. It's still that joyous feast time. They're in Jerusalem. They're, um, they're in an area uh, where people have come together in large groups to, to celebrate what um, and remember the faithfulness of God in the wilderness. And so when, when, when this miracle occurs, it's the Sabbath. And how many of you know in this context there are lots of rules about the Sabbath? They're not just the Sabbath rules, but they're the rules about the rules so that you don't break the rules. Hundreds of them. And so in, in the... Uh, some of the Jewish commentaries, one called the Mishnah, for example, there's, a, um, there's what is a, a violation and a non-violation. So if it's the Sabbath and you spit, it's, it's not a violation. You're allowed to spit on the Sabbath. Isn't that good news? So whether you're a Saturday Sabbath or a Sunday Sabbath, you're in good shape if you spit. However, you need to be very careful about the volume of spit that comes out of your mouth. Because, and this isn't my stuff, this is in the Mishnah, not in the Bible, but that if you spit enough to create a hole in the dirt, if it begins to like pool up, work is happening now, right? So just a little, uh, you know, that's okay. <laughs> so many things I could say right now that I'm not going to, I'm growing up. My mom is like, thank you, son. Thank you. So you, you, you could, if you, how much spit does it take to make mud? Like a lot, right? 
And, and some people have a theory about, about this miracle. And I even remember hearing it growing up in Sunday school. This one stuck with me. That somebody said um, Jesus was making mud because the guy was blind and didn't have eyeballs. So he was creating eyeballs, rolling them up. Hey, we, we try to vet our Sunday school teachers, right? But we don't have... It wasn't here. But, but I remember... I, I don't know. Maybe the Bible doesn't say it. Seems like a little bit of a reach. But, but at any rate, mud is being made. And the, the important part of all this that I'm saying is that it's not, a, it's not a crime to spit. It's a crime to spit a lot. And it's certainly a violation to do what's called kneading, right? So the, the, the word that's used for making dough is the same word that's used for making mortar. And so if you are making mud, you are violating the Sabbath law. It is a big no-no. And so he needs enough, not need or need, but needs enough to make a, a, a substance of mud that could be wiped upon the eyes of the person who wanted healing. You, you got to wonder what the blind man was doing. Like, he's like, I, okay, like, I, I want healing. So he's got mud now on his face. And then Jesus says to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And then that's the last that we see or hear of Jesus and the blind man's interaction until the end of the chapter. It's not like Jesus is like, okay, come on, I'm with you, like leading him. The Bible doesn't say that. It gives the understanding that Jesus kind of moves on into a conversation shortly after. It's about this because what happens is the Pool of Siloam is about 1,000 feet away. That's about a, two, a three to five minute walk. You might remember the Pool of Siloam within the context of this greater feast or festival is that um, that there's a, a tradition. It's, it's an extra biblical tradition, but it comes from the book of Isaiah, and it speaks of, um, if we can read the passage, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. What the priest would do is he would gather, he would go and he would gather water from the pool of Siloam, and he would pour it out on the altar, and the people would shout for joy. It was kind of like the I mean, I picture like, you know, when like the conga line takes off at a wedding or something and it's not like a cheesy one, like everyone actually gets involved and like people who don't cut loose start to cut loose. Like you ever been in one of those situations? It's like, I don't dance, but I'm dancing, right? You, like everybody's doing it. It's like, woo! What was said historically is like, man, you don't, you don't know joy until you've seen the joy of the water being poured on the altar at the pool of, from the pool of Siloam at this feast. Like it's, it's a remarkable moment. And this is that time period. And so it's significant that Jesus says, go wash in that pool. Let me read the Isaiah passage I led you there. Isaiah 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. The Lord is a strength in my song and he has become my salvation. With joy, I will draw water from the wells of salvation. You get the significance of Jesus saying, I'm the water of life. I'm the living water. You can come and drink and never be thirsty again. And then you will say on that day, give thanks to God, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim his name is exalted. And so for, for them, this uh, symbolism of the pouring of water was um, in connection with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is connected to salvation, to Messiah, to all things that are good. And this is that moment. And so now Jesus says, okay, you um, here, you know, breaking the law, breaking the law, and then putting mud on the eyes, and then now go wash in the pool of Siloam. 
So it was spiritually significant, but it was also practical. Because what would you do if you were blind and you had, or if you were sighted and you had mud on your face? Spitty mud. I was actually thinking about spitty mud. Um, now I will talk about my mom again. Because I have like memories of this. Right? In the Nissan Maxima on the way to school. And, and so... And sometimes, like, if you had something here, it gets super awkward. I, I, put, like, oh, I can almost taste that. Like, ugh. So anyways, so you have, like, that saliva mud on your face. And, of course, man, you want to go and wash that off. So he takes the steps there. But imagine what's happening as he's taking steps. The, everybody knows this is the blind guy. We're going to find that out later. And he gets there, and he washes. And can you imagine the joy There's no joy like the joy of a blind man that can see. Can you imagine as the water gets splashed, the hope of the... uh, Do you see all this crazy symbolism? The hope of living water, the hope of what was promised in Isaiah. And he's splashing and washing on his face. And then he can see. He doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. Doesn't even know where he looks. And, and again, scripture doesn't, at least what I'm reading, doesn't indicate that Jesus is right there. But now the guy can see. And now the, the whole purpose of the mud miracle is unveiled. Jesus is being very intentional. He's being very subversive. He's stirring the pot. He's breaking the law on purpose so that these conversations can happen. There's a word that we're going to read a little bit later. It's like that a division occurs. Jesus is bringing a dividing line. We sang that song, um, I don't know, break up the ground of all my traditions, something about religion, your way's better. It was like that kind of moment. And so let's, let's read on. In verse 8, this is so classic, right? And I want you to observe the human nature of this. And that's one of the ways we know the Bible is true because it's talking about people and showing people. And it's like, yep, that's how we all act. The, the logic and the lack of logic, the irony that's there, the blind man who can see now, and even before he could see, was, was more sighted than the religious leaders. You know, you, you can see his logic and answers to questions are succinct and clear and one word and, and, and sharp. And, and those that are trying to, like, get Jesus to fit into their box, their logic is so wacky kind of like this cultural moment and the logic that we have to try to be spoon-fed on a daily basis, right? It's like, huh? So at any rate, verse 8, the neighbors of those who had been seeing him before as a beggar were saying, wait a minute, I put that in, is, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Come, I'm so, <laughs> I'm even wearing glasses and I can't see, okay, <laughs> Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. This is so funny to me. It's like, no, no, that's not the blind guy. That's just a guy that looks like the blind guy. Because that couldn't be the blind guy. Because blind guys don't see after getting spit mud on their face. That just doesn't happen. So the only logical explanation is he just looks like the guy. They all look the same, right? That's just the guy. What? And then you have the man who it says, he kept saying, I'm the man. It happened to me. And so they said to him, 
Then how were your eyes open? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and I received my sight. And they said, Okay, where is he? Right? That's how we know he wasn't around that situation. Where is he? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I was blind. How would I know? <laughs> Verse 13, they, they, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was Sabbath day, a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees asked him again how he received sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Logical, clear, truthful. And it's like, no, 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 this couldn't, this couldn't be. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Does that not strike you odd? It strikes me incredibly odd that Jesus just did for, um, for what most scholars that I read said, this was the first of the miracle, uh, a first in record, uh, first record of a miracle of this, the blind being sighted. So in other words, there's not an Old Testament passage of that. There's not an understanding of people who've, who've done this. Jesus just does a, a remarkable thing, a miracle and their spiritual blindness can only, only show that he was a lawbreaker. It's easy for us to sniper it. You know, it's easier for us to pick it out right now. But it's, it's difficult for us, I think, to really take a step back and say, what are those blind spots in, in my life? You know, what are those areas where spiritually I'm blind and I can't see what God's doing? The offense of the, of the breaking of the law was more visible than the miracle that they were blinded by their religious obligation. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. I, I want you to take note of that um, word, that there was a division among them. And, you know, when you're reading the Bible and certain things come off the page to you, it's good to just camp out there for a little while. And that was the case as I was studying it this week, that this division that came, came as a result, um, this part popped out to me, that I think um, we talk a lot about unity, and there should be unity within the body of Christ, amen? The New Testament has so much to say about unity in the body of Christ. But you're not going to be able to have unity outside of the body of Christ like you have it inside the body of Christ. That there are moments that the things that you believe cause a division. That light can't walk with darkness, right? That, that there is a coming out and being separate and being different. And I just sense that God wanted us to rem be reminded of that. That the, the goal of the church is not like the Coca-Cola old school Christmas time commercial that we all buy each other a Coke and everybody gets along. The goal of the church is, is to, to speak the truth of the mission of God into a dark world. It's to rescue people. Again, in our men's group, we've been reading Romans and just so compelled by the power of the gospel and that we're on this um, outside of Jesus on a pathway to eternal destruction. And the goal of the church is, is not that we, we all get along, but that, that sometimes we say and do things that are subversive that get somebody to think to think well about their lives or well about the truth in order to come to, to grips with the bad news, right? The, the bad news is that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
And that's bad news for us. That's bad news for our neighbor. That's bad news for the person that you like and the person that you don't. And in the same token, the good news is that God so loved us that he redeemed us that while we were still sinners, while we were in it, Christ died for the ungodly. And so, so this point of, of division is important because if we all look the same and act the same with the, the idea of needing to be in false unity, um, we're missing the mark and we become, um, we, we lack in power, we lack in relevance, we lack in, in, in being a voice in a community. This isn't our excuse as a, a church um, and I'm speaking broadly of the body of Christ to be unkind or to be um, foolish or to lack in self-control or, or to, um, to, to, yeah, be hateful in the things that we say. This isn't that. But this is that to say you're going to be different. There's going to be stuff that, that people aren't going to get. They're not going to get along with you. There will be a division, and that's not bad. It's actually important. I think maybe it's safe to say it this way. If every single person likes you and likes what you believe and likes what you say, there, there might be a little bit of a problem, right? So go make some enemies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to beat the dead horse. So I'm going to move on. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, this poor blind man, he's like, man, can I just go celebrate the, can I go like look at clouds and stuff and why am I here? Religion is like that, by the way. So oppressive, right? Religion is like that. I'm, when I speak of religion, I'm not speaking of what, what we believe in, the, in a religious sense, but like the rules and regulations of man-made things is just so oppressive. It, it robs you of the abundant life that Jesus came to give. And this man is being robbed right now. I'm upset. It says, so, so they again said to the blind man, um, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, oh, well, very plainly, I say he's a prophet. In his context, that was like the highest level he could get. He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, and so they, they called his parents, right? I mean, now they're just like grabbing, right? Verse 18. They call his parents um, of the man who had received sight, and they asked him, Is this your son um, who you say was born blind? Or does he just look like him, <laughs> you know? And then, how then does he now see? And his parents answered, well, we know that that's our son, and we know that he was blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. This is really important, right? Um, it says this, ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. Verse 22 said, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus Christ, he was put, to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Without that explanation, it might seem like a, like a good sort of empowering moment, like where I'm not going to enable my kid, you ask him. Like it could seem like a good thing. But what it really was, was they were succumbing to social pressure. They were distancing in themselves, what it certainly appears like, they were distancing themselves from their son. Because if this guy's going to confess Jesus, he's getting kicked out of the synagogue. That, that has uh, spiritual implications, but it has very deep social implications. It has business implications. This is your community and your culture. So you're not going to do business with someone who's not in the synagogue. You're, it will affect your life deeply. 
And so they're like, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's him, and I know he's blind, but ask him. Like, let, let him get kicked out, not us, is essentially what they're saying. And guess what, guys? That's exactly what happens. And I think it's a good like, like point to maybe rabbit trail for a moment. I think that the enemy is so um, devious in the way that, that he, uh, how else do I say it, but for, for, for some of us like to distance ourselves from people that make us uncomfortable or even um, to take the responsibility for the sins or the, the choices of adult children or whatever else, there can be such a, a, a shroud of guilt and shame that hangs over. I don't think that's of God. I think that, that God has um, freedom for you. And so maybe some parents or, or some people need to hear that. Or maybe some that are like even ashamed of their sinful uh, friend or, or brother or family member or whatever else. To, to like, like, I don't know. I, I think they're doing bad stuff. But, you know, ask them. Don't ask me because I don't want to be connected to them. You know, you can be both connected to them and grieving their choices. You can be both connected to them and interceding on their behalf. You can be both connected to them and disagreeing with the way that they're living and still love them. And so I just want to encourage you because I think some of you are in that situation. But I also want to challenge in another token that um, we don't distance ourselves for fear of social backlash, which is exactly what was happening here. Does that make sense? Verse 24, you always say yes. I'm waiting for the day when someone's like, nope. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. You talk too much. Okay. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. They're speaking of Jesus. He answered. I love this line. He answered. Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I know is that I was blind and now I see. I mean, that's it, right? And then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I'm pretty sure I already told you. I have told you already, and you would not listen. And then he gets sassy. I like it. He says, why do you want to hear again so you can become one of his disciples? And then they reviled him. This was their greatest insult they could think of. They're like, oh, what's my biggest one? You are, right? It's like, no, you're his disciple. That's what they say. They revile him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. I mean, you could, the the sarcasm's dripping. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to them. And then he says this, never in the world, never since the world has begun has it been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born of utter sin, and yet you would teach him, or teach us, excuse me. And this last sentence is very important. And they cast him out. The very thing that his parents were worried about happened to him. Rejected. That's an ugly word, isn't it? Rejected. Rejection is such a a powerful thing against us that if we're honest, we can probably even still remember 
being on the playground and not getting picked for a team, maybe, unless you were like an awesome athlete. I can. Okay, I want you to feel bad for me right now. I can remember, like, kickball. Like, no, man, I swear I could kick it. Like, mm, and then you could tell there's, like, two guys left. I'm like, oh, do we want Danny or the other guy, right? And you, and you remember, like, man, just pick me before that so I'm not the last guy, right? It only happened once or twice. So, but, but, the, but the point is this, like, you know, I joke about that, but the reality is we probably all can remember even moments way back then. You could feel the feeling of it. But then you, you add to that those, those times where you got your heart broken. You know, you put yourself out there. And your heart was broken. These emotions, are they run so deep. Rejection happens for us in this world, and it is a powerful, negative thing. And we learn something about the character of Jesus in this moment, that this man was rejected, and Jesus heard about it. And Jesus heard that they cast him out. And this one little line that if we weren't reading carefully, we would skip right over it. And having found him, he said, do you believe that I'm the son of man? I wish that I could know what it took to find him. Because I know this of the good shepherd of the sheep, that he will leave the 99 for the one. That's good news for you, isn't it? Most of us don't feel like we're worthy of of him. You know, most of us don't feel like, you know, your problems are worthy of telling somebody. Most of you, I I heard a great podcast from... um, from Roxy, you know, I was a little bit late to the game and listening to it, and she's not here, so I won't talk about her, but, but one of the things that she said was just the power of inviting people into your story and, and letting them know the difficult things you're going through, because you, you, you tell yourself, no, no one, no one, I don't want to be a downer, I don't want to bring people into my rejection, and, and, and how the enemy loves to isolate us in those moments and then just tear us apart, but what does Jesus do? Jesus finds us. Have you ever been found by Jesus? Amen, right? All of you, if you, if you know the Lord, he found you. We were visiting, uh, Andre and Anna had their baby, and we were visiting them in the hospital, and we were in the elevator, and someone said something. They knew we were going to the floor where the babies were. They said, oh, congratulations. They said, oh, we're pastors. We're just going to go and pray for this couple that had a baby. Oh, great. And then they said, can you come and pray for my sister? She was, you know, she was beaten up, and she... And ended up in a really tough situation. Can you come and pray for her? Absolutely. I'm like, <laughs> like, like, practically lunch. I mean, come on. No, I'm just kidding. We're like, absolutely. What's her number, room number? We went down and we prayed for her. And, and um, this poor woman had just gone through so much. And, and the thing that was in my mind when I was talking to her and we were praying for her was like, man, Jesus found you. Like, what a privilege that we got to be a small extension of this kind of finding the one, right? That just in an elevator just so happens to have a conversation. And now here we have an opportunity to, to be an extension of Jesus' hands to those that are rejected, to those that, that need him. This is the heart of God. And I want to tell you today, he's finding you right now. He, right now. He's for you. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the response from the blind man, he answers, Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Beautiful moment. Beautiful moment where he sees the one who heals him. Verse 39, and I'm coming in for a landing. Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who may, um, that, excuse me, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. 
That verse bugged me. It really bugged me. I was like, what does it mean? And, and I, I, I just like, left it alone and I came back to it and I circled back around to it this morning and I was like, wow, like an aha. We, we know that it wasn't like Jesus' game of chess to go, okay, you believe you're in. You believe something, now you're blind. You don't get to believe in me. That's not what he was saying. That's what it kind of felt like as I read it at face value. Does any, does any of you like read scripture sometime and go, I don't like that, I don't want to understand it. This is what I believe it means. Do you know the reason why the blind man was healed of his blindness? blindness? He was healed of his blindness because he knew he was blind. He knew he was blind. As Jesus does miracles throughout, he often says, what can I do for you? The person speaks what their illness is. It's revealed here that the the Pharisees, and I'll, I'll read it, he says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say, Um, We see your guilt remains. What's happening right here? The blind people think they can see, so they have no reason for healing. And what do they need in order to see? They need to become what? Blind, right? Does that make sense? I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Jesus came to heal blind people, but to people who could see, he came to make them blind. Why would Jesus make someone who could see blind? Because it's like a a see and it's like a blind. The religious people thought they could see clearly everything. And so they had no need for Jesus healing in their life. They had no need for a Messiah. They wanted to kill him and get rid of him. So what would be the solution so that they could see him? It's irony. The solution would be blindness. And now they can go, wait, we don't know what we're doing. We can't see. And Jesus can come into blindness and bring healing. This is about spiritual blindness. It's a real miracle, but it's a real spiritual problem. And I believe that that all of us um, thank you, Jesus, for salvation. You know, we're so grateful for it. But there may be some in our lives, or maybe there's some here that don't see the need for Jesus. And maybe the prayer that we begin to pray is, God, help them to see their need. It's not a cruel prayer of make them blind. It's a gracious prayer of, God, give them the bad news so that they can embrace the good news. It's what our world needs. And so I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. And we're going to end with that song that, that I think is so fitting for this message and this portion of scripture. The, 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 the song that we sang of um, that one, like, your way is better. That one. Yeah, 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 that one. Um. That, that we, would, we would actually, <laughs> we, would, we would make room, like right? we would we'd make room for him. We would make room in our lives. Um, I think most of us, when we think we've got it all together, it's like, I, I don't need help in that area, right? Sometimes we think we're God's biggest helper, in fact, right? Like if we've got something together, like here, let me help you out in this area. But what would it look like for us as a congregation just to come humbly before God and say, Lord, you know, shake up this ground. Maybe there's things I don't even see. I need you to show me. And if I'm walking in any level of spiritual pride, blind, blind me so that you can heal me. Wound me so that you can heal me. It might be a foreign concept to us, but I think it's biblical. And I think it's illustrated in what Jesus taught. And so open your hearts to a few things as we wrap this up.
Maybe open your hearts to the division that Jesus wants to, be, to bring into your life between um, trusting him and trusting in the system of this world, that there's going to be some things that just don't make sense, and that's by design. I think to, secondly, embrace the reality that he's searching after you, that he accepts you, that he understands rejection. If there's anyone that understands rejection, it's Jesus. And he, at the word of finding out that you have been rejected, he's, he's hunting after you. He's coming after you in order to heal you. I think we brought up the point, too, that early on, that some of the suffering is not easily explained, as with the man board blind. But it's hopeful to know that we can trust God, that he's at work in the midst of suffering. He's doing something. He's doing the Romans 8 thing. You know, he's causing good to come of it. And he's most importantly present in the suffering. He's giving us um, opportunity to participate in the miracle as he did with the man born blind. There's so many things to draw from it. I would certainly encourage you to um, take time in chapter 9 this week and really meditate on it. And there's many things that I didn't even share that were in my notes that I just loved this chapter. I felt like the Lord ministered so much to me personally, and I pray that he'll minister to us now. So maybe we can just dim the lights and give an opportunity just to respond to the Lord. We have a few minutes left. And as they sing this song, um, would you just leave room for the Holy Spirit to, to show you anything he wants to show you in light of what his word is saying today?
I thank you for the, the words in that song. May they be the prayer of our heart. Lord, we lay down our pride. God, we, we lay down preconceived ideas. We lay down areas where we think that we're seeing clearly and yet we need to be blinded so that you can heal our vision. Lord, we thank you for those areas where we, we really can't see already and you long to heal us. But in both cases, it just requires the humility to ask. Lord, I thank you for the picture of you coming after the one, that at, at the word of finding that this man was rejected, you found him and you brought him into your family. I pray that if there's anyone here in the room that is experiencing that kind of rejection or feels just generally lost, you would come to them now as you've come to so many of us. You would restore them and give them sight and bring them into your family as your disciple. Lord, bless your people. God, may we know you more. Thank you for this gospel of John's study and, and what you're teaching us about your character and your nature. And I pray that these seeds of truth will be planted deeply into the souls, the soil of our heart. Lord, that throughout the week that these things would spring up and give answers to questions that we might have and give opportunity for us to speak into people's lives. And, and Lord, that you would use your word in us, that we would not be merely hearers of the word, but we would be doers. Let it be said of us this week that that's the case. God, I pray that you would bless your people. Strengthen them in every way. Encourage them this morning, I ask. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. 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 God bless you.